Nando's. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. These Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nothing spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown to one Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandoz in the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Jay Sandoz, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandoz in the sidekick as we get you ready for this weekend's action against the Austin P. Governors. And we will be talking to their play-by-play man, Brian Reeves, a little bit later on. Austin Harris is going to stop by the show. And in our final segment, the boldest of bold predictions. I'm excited for that. We are tied at one bold prediction correct apiece in two weeks. That's not a very good ratio. Hopefully we can turn it around this week. I also want to introduce a new possible wrinkle to bold predictions that can incentivize perfection, if you understand my gist here. No. Did you get any of those big words? No. Incentivize. No, that was, that was perfection. Certainly you don't get the word no, perfection. No, perfect. <laughs> that's a word I would use or be. All right, let's talk a little bit about this game coming up on Saturday. And it is a battle between two teams that haven't played since they were in the same league of the Ohio Valley Conference. The Bucks lead all time, 14 wins, 12 losses, two ties. Although the last six meetings, ETSU, 0-5-1, they have lost the last four consecutively, which means they had the tie and loss. But uh, they're trying to break a four-game skid. I do think Austin P very strategically didn't want to play ETSU because he didn't want to play indoor football. That's what I'm going with. The last time he plays 1978, Bucks still playing outdoors, and they don't come back again until guess what, Mike Gallagher, Green Stadium, and they're playing outdoors again. You don't think that's a coincidence at all? No, just a fact. I, I think it's a fact. Okay, and maybe I need to look up what a fact. Is, may, but that's well, okay. Yeah. You may want to talk to somebody on their side of the ball about that before we throw uh, facts. I, I think out. clearly they ducked us. No, they didn't want to play inside. Okay. Sorry, it's understandable. So, uh, ETSU, Austin P. I I think when you look at the game, the first thing that has to jump out at you, one, them beating Mercer, Mercer, after Mercer got off to a good start. Defensive numbers are the second thing I think that jump out to you. You know, they've got a couple defensive touchdowns on the season. They're only giving up 43 yards on the ground per game, and they've played a ranked Central Arkansas team that's been pretty good. And normally a Mercer Bear squad, which is dynamic and and very balanced attack under Bobby Lamb. So uh, it's not like they really haven't been tested as far as that goes, but very impressive defensively so far for the Governors. Yeah, and my question for you, I think, is does ETSU just need to be who they are and not worry about those on the other side of the ball? We hear Randy Sanders often talk about it's not about the opponent, it's about us, quote-unquote. So should the Bucks try to be more about their identity and what they want to do? You heard him talk about last week, VMI tried to take away Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors, so ETSU ended up 
running the ball, uh, I believe it was 39 times, or throwing the ball, excuse me, 39 times, to running the ball 29 times, 10 more times throwing the ball than passing the ball, despite the fact that you have a not veteran quarterback, someone that's still working his way into the starting position. You have two tremendous tailbacks and a new wrinkle in the running game with Malik McGue. Do you think that ETSU needs to skew heavier towards the run despite the fact that there is a stout run defense, or do you adjust on the fly and try and make sure that you're playing away from the opponent's strengths? Well, it's... I think you should still try to be who you are. The crazy thing is, is they were very successful on first down, uh, running and throwing. It was really no production on second and third down. I mean, they had over 300 yards on first down. First down passing, Trey Mitchell was 14 of 20, right? So um, there were chances on third down they just didn't hit, whether it was execution, um, and that being either the receiver catching the football, the quarterback throwing the football. There was a protection breakdown at one point. So the uh, – Everyone owns it, right? This isn't just one guy struggled on third down. It seemed like it was a total team effort. But if a team puts eight to nine guys in a box, I mean, you, you can be a great run team all you want to. The, the numbers just aren't there. You're saying there's a line that you have to draw at some point. I, I think so. I, and I think once they uh, – on first down, once they started to complete a couple of passes, then they went back to the run. And they always seem to get back to the run at some point in time. But I think setting the tone there. Now, the difference is I think VMI knows they're not particularly a great run-stopping defense, so they had to do that. I don't know that Austin P is going to do that. Uh, the way they've been stopping the run with really their front six, if you will, and, you, and the nickelback kind of plays up a little bit and the safety can come down. But they'll put six, seven, maybe an eighth guy, you could say, with a walk-up safety. But for the most part, you know, they don't blit, run blitz a whole lot. They just go with their front four and the linebackers and see what happens. So that's what they did really to Mercer and, and was able to control that. So with that look, I think ETSU will have to run. So that's sort of I'm going with that. I think they will run it to answer your question, but I think it's because of the look. I think the passing more last week was just because VMI just dared you to do it. And the funny thing is they still almost beat him with the run in Jacob Sailors, right? Sailors 112 yards on the ground. Of course, he hit the big home run ball to give ETSU a, a three-point uh, lead at that point in time in the game. So they still, even though VMI did everything they could to try to take the run out of play, the Bucks will, still were successful with the run. And I think Austin P will give them run looks and just try to go good on good. I wonder how much of this game is going to be geared towards Jacob Sailors for ETSU's running side of things. I think that Austin P has shown they can stop conventional run looks. And so will there be a lot more Malik McGue in the backfield? Will there be more touches for Jacob Sailors, who is more of the big play threat, more of the unconventional perhaps type runner? Quay Holmes is just consistent and consistent and consistent and grinds on you. But when you have a team that's only allowing 43 rushing yards per game, do you think that this game is more geared towards Jacob Sailors? It certainly seems like that to me. Well, and and I, if you look at the depth chart, at least uh, – um, yesterday watching Sailors took the first couple snaps. Okay. But the truth is there's, I think they're still going to get somewhat equal carries. Again, there's a lot of people you can look at that's interchangeable. Uh, the last couple games, Sailors has had two big runs. It's really propelled his numbers. Uh, you know, he's almost averaging eight yard per carry on the season. So 8.4 per carry. That's second in the nation in FCS, by the way. Okay, so there you go. So um, I, I think they're going to go with Sailors. I think clearly – Malik McGue gives everybody a different look. It makes people prepare differently. But the thing is, you've got to figure out with all the injuries ETSU's been dealing with, you know, and not just the quarterback position. Look at Braxton Richburg, right? He's he's questionable for this game. Jamal Couch is still questionable if he's going to come back. Well, there's a couple of your key receivers 
that were going to to, to maybe help out a quarterback uh, besides Weldon Thrasher and some of those other guys. So I think just trying to get some athletes on the field, I think it's a little bit of a necessity. Plus, you got to figure out a way to get the ball. If you got Malik McGee, you got to figure out a way to get the ball in his hands to see what you can and can't do. So Sailors may get the first couple snaps, but I don't think by any any means you're not going to see Quay Holmes get his touches. And certainly in a short yard situation against that formidable four, front four, you're going to go with Holmes. Quay Holmes, 17 touches per game. Jacob Sailors, 8.5 touches per game right now. I would love to see them get more. I'd love to see them have 35 to 40 combined between the two in any way that you can because offensively they are, and I don't think it's close, your two most dynamic playmakers. And now you throw in Malik McGue, who we haven't seen a ton of at the college level. He's still catching up, but he said with you on the coaches show on Wednesday night that he expects to use that formation more and more and more as they get more comfortable with McGue, see what he can do, see what he can't do, and maybe even as they work in some pass plays for him as well. So I think that's a really big Big key to be able to get Sailors and Holmes the ball a little bit more and I don't doubt Randy Sanders has looked at that option I don't doubt that he's wanted to do that in fact but I think he probably does come more from the side of things you do where you can only slam your head against the wall against an eight or nine man front so often or most likely this coming Saturday against a team in Austin P that is so good against the run game but if you're going to have success offensively you need to have it start with those two players and perhaps plus Malik McGue because if you don't then you're gonna have to rely on Trey Mitchell who had a significant downturn in completion percentage last week 45 percent after he came in at like 77 percent now he did have a career high 250 yards but are you really going to be able to have the passing game come first against a team like Austin P with the inexperience you have and the lack of production I suppose consistent production you have on the outside and at the quarterback with Trey Mitchell well and every team is going to look at what you just said and say okay clearly for them to be successful they have to get Holmes and Sailors going they can't uh, be one-dimensional right now you look at the stats you look at the film there's not that guys dynamically right now in the passing game they're making plays there's some drops this, and, and they, there could be now i think there's a couple guys that, that could make some big plays absolutely you know we've seen keith coffee the 57 yard touchdown pass back now 20 yard catch was uh, i think a beauty across the middle i think wilson and huzzy add some different things if couch comes back i mean he's a six foot four target that's going to be hard to tackle if you get the ball in his hands so i think there could be some playmakers and if etsu can string together a few of those plays etsu just isn't good enough to be one-dimensional to anything most teams aren't right uh there are teams like sanford they're built the, we're just gonna throw it they're wofford of old we're just gonna run it. and they're and that's fine they, they're built like that etsu is not built like that a lot of teams are not built that way so i think it has to start with them i would love to see what you said happen 35 40 touches i would be all on board i'm a I like to see the the running game. I will say Coach Sanders really likes to to throw vertical. I mean, I know they haven't a lot last couple of years, but here here and hopefully another few more gets more folks in that he wants. I mean, he really wants to push the ball down the field, um, and he's always utilized a uh, two running back system. He's loved it. He's talked about it at, at I don't want to say nauseum because I like to hear it, but he he talks about it a lot. And I think he's got the two guys to do it. And if they split some touches here and there, that's fine. But I think you know your way of thinking is probably the proper way where as long as they both are getting to that number doesn't matter if if Holmes has more touches in one game and Sailor the other the key is you know ride the hot hand see who's going we've seen them do that before they've been able to spell each other to stay fresh I think that's helped ETSU as well instead of having one workhorse going the other way and and that's sort of what Austin P has they have two workhorses on their side going the other way and that's two guys they're going to rely on uh, heavily to open up the pass as well.
Here's another thought before we get to Austin P. Since this is the last non-conference game, do they perhaps try and rely on the pass and work the pass in a bit more? It's not that you don't care about this game. You want to win it, and perhaps it's even your most important game of the season. If you look in retrospect, should things go one way or the other? If you win the game, maybe vaults you into a confident, you know, ultra-ready type state for conference play, and you take off and win five or six conference games. But there's the other side of it where you perhaps don't perform as well and then fall into a season where you maybe win four or five. So maybe it is a big enough game where you don't try out a whole lot more than you already have. But my thought is since it's the last non-conference game against an FCS team, although it is the last non-conference game before you get into conference play really heavy. I don't know. I'm just trying to say if you look at how this game's set up in your schedule, where it is as you lead into conference play, it does give you the opportunity to try some things since it doesn't count against your conference record and it is so far into the season to see if you can rely more on the pass. I, I don't think schematically they were that off last game. They There were some offensive penalties. They still haven't cleaned up. I think they've got to fix that. They turned the ball over again. They've got to fix that. They didn't convert on third downs. they got to fix that. Drop balls, they were seven or eight drop passes same token there were four or five throws where guys were open so i don't think schematically there was really a whole lot wrong with that game on offense now we still there's still some things special teams defense we could talk about but on offense i I don't feel like they're that far off they've just got to have it come together i mean it does have a little bit of feel of what we saw last year it's just the difference was etsu kind of gutted out that vmi win this year they didn't so I don't know I'm ready to hit the panic button and blow everything up. Oh, and, and neither am I. I'm just saying, is it worth trying since it's your last non-conference I, FCS game before conference? Well, game? and and I don't th- I don't know that they will, other than maybe adding in some Malik McGee stuff, right? Adding in some wrinkles there. I, I think if they could execute, honestly, if they executed, and, and, and this is probably in every game and every team could argue, but if they would execute half the plays offensively against VMI, I, I think it's a 14-17 point win going away. I think it's easy to say. And, again, you could probably point to – VMI could probably point to a few things here and there and say the same thing. I think every team can. But ETSU wasn't real. I mean, considering how really bad they were in, in a few areas, I mean, they are right there, again, with a team last year, VMI. And that is a much-improved VMI team. I'm not sitting here going to claim they're, they're ready to, to win the conference or anything like that. But they gave teams fits last year. And if they don't turn the ball over, they're going to pick up two, three, four wins here in this league and, and be a middle-of-the-pack team, which which considering where they were a couple of years ago and didn't win a game, you know, sort of like Austin P a few years ago didn't win a game. I think that's important. But I, I, I feel like that they, they will just try to do what they do, I, I guess the best way it is. I don't know how many wrinkles. I think they still need to execute on the plays they do have. I think this is a big game for ETSU's defense to flip to that side of the ball having some conversations this week with people I think there were a few that were maybe a bit underwhelmed by the VMI performance now you have to be very quick to tell people look at all the injuries to such key players where they were out for either significant portions of the game or were on and off the field of course then we haven't even talked about we did earlier in the week but obviously the lightning delay throws things off and changes momentum blah 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 and to clarify again I am in no way advocating for blowing anything up either it's so early in the season this is a non-conference game I'm just saying throw some things on tape try some things see what sticks sure. to see if you can get on track defensively I don't think that I'm panicking like some it seems like are uh this year player Jason Maduofaqua and Tyree Robinson are what three your top four or five defensive players and having all of them either not at 100% for a large portion of the game or not even on the field for large chunks of the game 
to me says that without the unit complete and full, as it hasn't been the full year, because you also haven't had one of your other top five defensive players, uh, and some may think a top two or three defensive player in Jared Folks, your best linebacker on the field the entire year either. So this is a big, big defensive game. I think for ETSU, and it's a very balanced Austin P attack. They've got Banico Harley, who has a touchdown in each of the first three games. One throwing, as a matter of fact, he's a wide receiver, but two receiving. Also, D'Angelo Wilson has gone over 100 yards receiving two of the first three games and had three touchdowns in the first game against North Carolina Central for Austin. He's P. like a Vinny Lowe, by the way. Okay, that's a good uh, reference uh, for ETSU yeah, he, fans. He's he's pro- uh, Vinny was probably weighed more than he did, but he he is very much. Uh, a little inside slot jitterbug, like kind of dances around. He's hard to tackle. He, he, he's he's an interesting guy to, to, to guard. I'll be curious to see who they put on him. So you've got those two. Then you have the dual-headed running attack and maybe even make it a triple threat running attack now with Javon Craig, who's good for about 50 per game on the ground, it seems like, from his two games of action. And he's really the first dual-threat quarterback that ETSU's faced this year. So you have people at every position that can do some things for Austin P and it's going to be a challenge because they're averaging 444 yards per game 244 of those are in the air 200 on the ground and things are probably going to even skew more run heavy I know a few around ETSU think they're just going to try and ram it down ETSU's throat on the ground which considering some of the injuries up front for the Bucks, may be a good game plan well I think they're going to try to run it right at ETSU and you know you still don't know the status questionable now on Jason Madua-Fakwa you know, Javon Hurd hadn't played all year. He was a, a backup defensive end. So that's kind of thrust in a couple young guys. We've seen Rodney um, Wright in a couple times. We've also seen Cayman Cody as a backup nose guard. You know, if Mandua Fakwa doesn't go, do they move Cody to the nose, move maybe Austin Rowan just for the experience over? Do they play the true the true freshman, you know, Roddy Wright Jr. over there at that? Do they move Pinkleton from a backup from the play? So they got a few things they've got to work out. Plus, they're just not deep right there. You know, they thought they were going to have a couple extra guys come in uh, to camp. Uh, a couple transfers going to be able to help. Things didn't work out. They didn't do it. Then again, you're missing your two starting inside linebackers. We, we've talked about it. Probably people are throwing stuff at the whatever listening device they have right now. But J.D. Griffin, never going to be allowed to play football again, unfortunately. Jared Folks is still questionable. I saw the dress-out roster. He's, he's probably going to dress, but it's just going to be a game-time decision if he even gets in the game. And then again, he's only had one and a half week of contact. Like, is he really ready to go, and is that going to go? And then, again, is their players not 100%? I think he wouldn't say that, but I think we, me and you both get the feeling. He sounded uh, convinced that he'd play. Oh, no, no I, th- I think he's going to go. I, I would be shocked if he didn't. And Tyree Robinson, clearly, if you say put a cast on let's go back out there, then I, I think he's going to be out there. And I think both those guys are trying to take a leadership role and saying, don't listen to what I'm saying. See what I'm going through pain-wise and what I'm out here doing, and we need more people to do it. So, and that's really uh, important. I mean, that's underrated how them being out in the field with those injuries should at least impact everyone else. I don't know if it will because you have to be in that locker room to know, and we're just not. But it should be a statement to everyone else, and it should make everyone else raise their effort, their determination, their dedication, and their want to be on the field, I think. And we definitely need to see if they can create turnover. That's going to help them. One, can they get off the field on third down? They did in the first half. They didn't in the second half. Can they create some turnovers? Austin P has um, turned it over five times on offense, and they four six on defense. A, a little bit of an odd stat: both teams have turned it over a combined uh, nine times, but both defenses have given up zero points off turnovers. Wow! 
So that's at least a little impressive. And Austin P defensively was able to cash in a couple of interceptions last week, which ended up being the, the 14 points uh, difference maker in the game against Mercer. But I, I think if you're Austin P or I, I think they're just going to run right at you, uh, you know, and just see there's some injuries in there. Let's see if you can stop us. Craig is not um, as dynamic as somebody like Tyree Adams. Of course, not, not many people are. Uh, he's not that dynamic, but he's certainly more athletic than Reese Udinsky. And the Bucks had a game plan where it was like, okay, if Udinsky breaks the pocket, that's what we want. And I know he ended up getting a couple first downs, but that's the least of your poison, right? Alex Ramsey's not beating you with, on the ground game. Udinsky could beat you with his arm. Now, he was able to, to get away from some tackles, which I thought was, was shocking, and ETSU had some opportunities to, to thaw out. Um, some drives that VMI was able to continue and get points on the board. Craig is going to be much more uh, a threat to run, and they will do a little bit of option stuff with them. Uh, you know, it's going to be a little different. You need to almost dare him to throw the ball out of all the other things. The running game is going to be there for uh, Austin P. It has been so far this year. Two talented backs. Really a third one if you look at Prince uh, Mamadou. If you look at his numbers too, they got three really talented tailbacks. Then you add in Craig and you mentioned his legs. Him be able to go. Craig, you know, will throw more jump balls to receivers and let them go make a play. So then it's up to secondaries. Jeremy Lewis, Karan DeLentz, you know, Artavia Smith and Tyree uh, um, Robinson. Are those guys going to be kind of up for the task? Quinn Smith is the nickelback. Are those guys going to be able uh, and they're going to be undersized in those matchups? Are they going to be able to go up and, and knock a pass down when challenged? And that's what they do in the red And that's the other thing. Austin P.S. struggle in the red zone. Right. He, you know, I think they've only got five touchdowns out of 12 trips down in the red zone. And, and ETSU so far has given up 10 touchdowns out of 12 red zone trips. So I think it's going to be important for them to try to uh, stop that. And they throw a lot of jump balls at the goal line. The tough part is we've talked about how they're probably going to run it right at ETSU, but you've got three receivers. We haven't even mentioned Keenan Barnes, essentially, that are averaging 50 yards per game or more, so they can transition out of that. I, I don't like any of the matchups for ETSU's side in this game, but that doesn't mean that they can't have success. This is one of those games where you need guys to step up, and specifically, I think, on the defensive side of the ball. And remember, I was big on how the defense played against Appalachian State. The first 44 minutes, I thought they were excellent. Just got gassed a little bit. Lack of depth showed. Then again, shorter, of course, very good. And then against VMI is where you look at it and you're like, well... Did they give everything that they had and had the success you would expect by them doing so? But then you look at the injury. So there's a lot of things from the first three weeks that you can point to one thing and say, well, this is clearly a point for one side. But then if you're talking about the defense and saying, well, I think the opposite of you, here's a point for the other side, it could go either way. So for me, this is as important of a game defensively as it gets for ETSU. And if they want to overcome those matchup discrepancies and the things that on paper look like they're going to go against ETSU, I think I think a lot of it has to do with the defense and stopping, stepping up in that front seven and stopping that run game, forcing a lot of the plays to go outside and letting the secondary, which is full of playmakers, obviously, even a clubbed up Tyree Adams can still make a lot of plays back there, force them into throwing and have the secondary step up, make some plays, force some turnovers. And then when you get to the last phase of the game and each issue has to be better, that just because we, we got to move on, so we got to get to it. But you're looking at three kickoffs out of bounds. Um, a decision to take a ball out of the end zone after kind of bumbling it around, and, and I think Quay Holmes just didn't know where he was, so he cautioned to bring it out. But that put the Bucks behind the eight ball as well. A couple of punts that went awry uh, certainly didn't help out. And then of course there were um, three unsportsmanlike conduct penalties yeah. on special teams. Yeah. So you you add in all that, 
it, it has to get better. I, that's all I'm going to go with. So, on top of all the woes of offense and maybe even some of the defense, I mean, everyone owned it last game. If, if a few of those things, and not a lot of them, you know, come together a little better, then that's a win. And so now they're going to be challenged uh, this week against an up-and-coming Austin P team. And we'll talk to Brian Reeves here coming up in just a few seconds. Austin Herrick. After that, we'll talk bold predictions on our last segment. Right now, we'll step aside for a timeout. When we come back, the play-by-play man for the Austin P Governors, Brian Reeves, right after this timeout, to a word. Vandermark Sports Entertainment on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandos and the sidekick back with you on this Friday. It's the, as we call it, game day eve. ETSU taking on an in-state rival that they haven't played since they were both members of the OVC back in 1978. It is the governors of Austin P. fresh off a big win at Mercer. Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher with you. Also, Brian Reeves joins us via the telephone. He is the voice of the governors. And, Brian, first of all, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us today and also for the listening about 1.30 in the morning when we finish that VMI game. Well, Jay, Mike, first, thanks for having me with you. Yeah, I was worried that you guys didn't get to the Waffle House and the coach didn't pick up the tab, but uh, good to know that you guys got taken care of after that contest. Well, it's, well, I did. Mike didn't. Unfortunately, he got stuck in the studio doing more work, but uh, you know how that is. First, first question is a very important question. Have you ever had to carry a seven-hour and 56-minute broadcast before? No, sir. I am very thankful at those points that we have someone back in studio that I can throw it back and take the headset off. You, you never appreciate a board operator until you get stuck trying to fill in a rain or lightning delay. So we had a we had one last year that took us almost three hours, but we went off headset and had a great board op that filled in and actually went to some alternate programming. So uh, yeah, they're, they're, my you have my kudos for carrying that. All right, well, let's talk uh, a little more about uh, this game coming up. Tell us a little bit about uh, Austin P. I know coming off the big win against Mercer, I was able to watch uh, that game actually some this morning, finished it up, and uh, very impressed with what they're able to do offensively, especially at the running back positions. And then I furthered research with Kentel Williams and Ahmad Tanner. Both those guys combined all-purpose yards over 5,200. Actually, I think, I think it's 5,300 I don't know that ETSU's had 5,300 of all-purpose yards in the last couple seasons, so very impressive what those uh, two one-two running back punch can do for you. Yeah, Kintel's a kid out of Knoxville, Fulton High School, so a lot of your folks may be familiar with his hometown and area. Preseason All-American. Kintel's one of those guys that has that extra gear. You know, he's he's an every-down back. You don't have to take him out of the backfield in passing situations. He can go grab it for you. You know, the previous staff and coordinator did a lot of screen games with him. Haven't seen that yet out of a brand-new OC here and a brand-new head coach. Uh, Ahmad's more the square-the-shoulders and downhill guy, so it's a nice little one-two punch. And then he mixed in Prince Mamadou as well, uh, really the third guy in this rotation. But for anybody else in the OVC, he would be the number one 
a great combination of that tailback position, and that's been the strength. You know, when you look at the numbers for Austin P, when you're able to put almost 200 yards together on the ground a week, uh, control that clock, control the tempo and pace of the game, Kentel, Ahmad, and Prince have been a huge benefit for this Austin P offense. Now, I do have a question because I know you started the year with it with quarterback Jeremiah uh, Oatsvall, and then he yeah. was injured, and you bring in a, a very talented kid, at least I'm familiar with because he played at Macaulay High School in Javon Craig, and, and it seemed like a, after he got kind of his feet wet against, I think it was Central Arkansas, he's really picked up his play. Talk about the quarterback position. Well, you, you mentioned Jeremiah, who's out, uh, broke his foot uh, against Central Arkansas, so he's done for the year. Javon's a guy who came in, uh, and if you'll remember – uh, unfortunately, if you're a governor fan, you remember it too vividly. Four years ago, we went winless. And, and Javon came in as a pure freshman and started over half those contests. Well, for the last two seasons, Javon and Jeremiah had been kind of a rotating system. You know, they would both play during contests, both get probably 30 to 40 snaps, and then kind of ride that hot hand through the third and fourth quarter uh, on the offensive side. So Craig stepping in at quarterback is not a huge step for him. He's got 20-plus starts at the FCS level. It's not a fall off, and you're right. Once the slight adjustments were made at Central Arkansas and got him going in the second half, he looked more comfortable. It's more to his strength. Uh, you know, last week, a big week against Mercer, he's completed over 52% of his passes on the year so far, almost 437 yards through the season so far. So Javon's a guy that you might lose just a little mobility-wise compared to Oatfall, but I think you have a better – quicker decision maker in the pocket and it showed last week against Mercer when he could find him through the air. Brian Mike Gallagher with you we appreciate the time and thanks for joining us you talked about that winless season going 0-11 just four years ago then you had a little bit of everything under Will Healy who's now the Charlotte 49ers head coach 8-4 and the next year probably a snub from the playoffs really then a 5-6 and season last year but going to Mark Hudspeth this season the former associate head coach of Mississippi State North Alabama head coach Louisiana Lafayette head coach a wealth of experience that he has at high-ranking levels in impressive programs and getting deep into the playoffs at Division Two, making some bowls in Division One. certainly doesn't seem like the team has missed a beat from Healy to Hudspeth. Have you seen some differences in culture, differences in style? How does this team continue to have the success that it has had making that transition in just a few short months? Well, you mentioned culture. I'm not sure culture is the right way to say it. It's more of, it's more of a tune-up. You went from a very young staff that was very relatable to the player, a player coach, if you will, to an older, more experienced staff. And Coach Husband, he's not long in the tooth by any means. But as you said, he's 97 and 60 overall. He's had success uh, at this level, had success at the FBS level as well as an associate head coach and assistant coach. So maybe a little more structure. Uh, you know, the, the, the radio's not blaring during practice as it was previously. Uh, you know, maybe a little looser if you was in the locker room until now. So maybe a little more structure. Uh, it's, it's the uh, Tom Coughlin system, if you will. If he tells you a meeting starts at 9 o'clock, it really starts at 8.55, kind of an idea. So the talent is still there from the Will Healy era, without a doubt. He replenished the coverage and got these guys on campus. So you have to tip your cap to Will and that staff. But I think Coach Husband has really just kind of tuned it up, if you will. Just kind of tightened it up, cut in the corners, if you will and just got this team, and as you said, without missing a beat, to believe in themselves again, to go back to that team, as you said, two years ago that was snubbed in the FCS playoffs, and quite honestly, due to the schedule, level of competition, didn't have enough guys uh, on the schedule to really create a strength of schedule worthy of getting in, change that this year. You look at the Central Arkansas, you look at us coming to you guys 
uh, this Saturday. Uh, you look at Jacksonville State and SEMO in our own league that are, are ranked nationally. You look at SEMO, or excuse me, East Kentucky receiving votes, as well as we started finally to receive some votes this week. So the strength of schedule is better. Uh, the quality of just the uh, organization within the program is better under Hudspeth, and that's the tune-up we need to hopefully make that step and reach our first ever trip to the FCS playoffs. We've talked some offense. I'd love for you to introduce the defensive players for us that are making a difference for the Governors, Brian, especially up front. That front seven seems to really be dominating. Well, it starts in the middle. Pat Walker's a redshirt senior linebacker, was kind of the uh, Robin to the Batman of Gunnar Shalato for the past couple of years. But Pat's really stepped up. I think he's third on the team in tackles going into this weekend. A redshirt senior from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, who can cover sideline to sideline. Uh, just as, as quick as you could want. Jack McDonald's a young guy who stepped into that linebacker role, actually played on the tight end side last year, uh, but just need, had some need there, and Jack really flourished through spring and summer ball, and it settled into that starting backer. But you mentioned th- that front line, the front and the defensive front for Austin P. and that's what I look so much forward to against the Bucks this Saturday. It's your running strength against our run defense strength, and it starts in the middle. You've got two little, uh, for lack of a better term, and I heard somebody use this phrase so I stole it they're two water plugs you look at Mason Harwell and John Wesley Whiteside both guys are just big run stoppers they're not going to be able to chase somebody down out of the pocket or or go get somebody outside the numbers of the hashes but you run between the tackle against those two guys you're going to run into roadblocks Uh, Matthew Gale coming off the edge Sean Whittinghill working his way back from injury off the edge Kwame Sutton a young man from Blacksburg South Carolina a very heralded recruit dealt with a little bit of injury early they say he's full strength and full go this week but that front those front four and and definitely having depth in those front four where you can run that second unit as well with a marquise griffin or josephus smith that run defense has been the strength of off so far currently fourth nationally in run defense on the fcs uh, limiting teams to less than 50 yards on the ground per contest so far and that's interesting to hear, Jay, because you hear Andy Sanders talk about depth up front not being a strength for ETSU, which has hurt them early on. Yeah, and, and that's been a, a huge issue for uh, the Bucks. And, you know, we saw it last week um, <clears throat> come, come into play, especially when uh, VMI went tempo uh, on that. And so that that's interesting. But that's the one thing that jumped out when I was uh, doing some statistical uh, notes on my spotting boards and stuff is the fact that all those defensive linemen for Austin Peay seem to be rotating and not just rotating in, but making tackles and tackles for loss, 29 tackles for a loss so far this season. So they are just wreaking havoc. I don't think any uh, uh, running backs had more than um, uh, 60 yards, right, against Austin Peay so far. So they've made you earn it uh, as far as throwing the football. And then you look back there and there's a lot of ball hawks, right? And especially it's easy to turn around and and look at uh, Cordell Jackson being the OVC Player of the Week, the 2 INT return for a touchdown. But I'll tell you who jumps out to me is, is Wontarius Bryant. He jumps off yes, the page sir. with how athletic he is. Wontarius is a guy that if you looked at him getting off the bus, you'd think, oh, that's just another guy. But when he puts the helmet on, uh, it becomes Superman. He's 5'11", 200 pounds. When he got here, you know, he's 5'10", 5'11", probably about a buck seventy, buck eighty. So he really committed himself to the weight room. He's a Nashville guy from Maplewood High School just up the road in Nashville, Tennessee, and has just developed himself into a student of the game. Yeah, he's going to lay the wood. He's a true safety that will play up in the box and come after you uh, tackle-wise. I think he's second or third on the team in tackling. Again, you're ahead of me. You've already got your spot board ready. I haven't got to it this week. Uh, but I'll, I'll dive into it tonight and be ready for tomorrow. Don't worry. But Juan Terrius is a guy who's just the captain of this defense, 
can play all over, can cover, can play in run support. Uh, you mentioned Cordell, the OVC Defensive Player of the Week, just has a nose for the ball. You know, we start looking at uh, covering a guy for you guys like Nate Atkins uh, or one of the best names in football I've found so far, Spagnoletti. Uh, you know, that's probably Cordell's role to go cover your number one and allow a Juan Terrace or a James Tobin or an Isaiah Norman to kind of just roam a little bit and just play free. And that's been the difference there under this defense coordinators. We have a co-defense coordinator system with Mark Powell and Dominique Bowman. They're a little more freelance in the backfield. You know, last year under Healy and that group, a lot more dial-up blitzes, a lot more bringing pressure. This, this group kind of lets you freelance a little bit. And, and you can do that when you've got redshirt seniors and experienced redshirt juniors in the defense backfield that you can trust and know that they have that athletic ability to recover if they make a mistake. Normally on the on the podcast, Brian, I kind of yada yada the special teams. Not that it's not important, but a lot of people you know, just don't pay attention. You know, it's a very important part of the game. The reason I want to bring it up today is because the punter and kicker have ties to East Tennessee. Oh, that's right. Dobbins been a product. And, from and that's, a, that's what I was thinking. Devin Stewart, the punter, Logan Birchfield. I, I used to watch him kick uh, field goals for Elizabeth in high school. So you got two guys from the backyard here at Johnson City have a little bit of a homecoming. And Devin's a uh, Steve Spurrier High School guy from Science Hill as well. So, uh, yeah, Logan has been fantastic for us. You know, he played his first year, uh, had an injury, so he redshirted his second year, and then for the last three, he's been fantastic. Seven and eight, seven of eight for field goals so far this year. Absolutely perfect on PATs. Hit a new career long at Central Arkansas from 49. Uh, Logan the leg, as he's affectionately known around campus, has really developed and really kind of got out of his own head you know that first year as any freshman do they struggle and, and logan really worked uh it was never a physical issue it was more of a mental issue and logan over the last couple of years has just settled in and and that kick in central arkansas that 49 yarder was nothing more than coach mark Hudson saying logan i believe in you and i'm going to need you later on down the road we could go for this it was fourth and two at the time but i'm going to put you out there and let you get some confidence and uh, again, I know he's excited to get home in front of his friends and family from, from East Tennessee area, uh, but Logan's a huge piece of this. And Devin Stewart may have the biggest pass. If, if you get a chance to go back and look, it was fourth and eight from our own two-yard line, and one of the gutsiest calls I've ever seen against Central Arkansas, we fake punted out of the shadow of our own goalpost with uh, Devin ready to punt from his heels on the back of the goal line, uh, and he completes the pass that gets his first down. Now, granted, we don't go score – but uh, Devin, to, to have the ability to make that pass, uh, just to make it and just to have the guts to call it from the head coaching standpoint was huge. Uh, Devin's doing a fantastic job. Remember, he came to Austin P as a defensive back. We had a needed punter. Devin said, I can do it. And I admire any guy who steps into a role that they're not particularly comfortable with. Devin has worked himself to an all-OVC caliber punter for the governors, and, and, and they're two of my favorite guys. You know, as broadcasters, you get to get around the team a little bit. Those specialists, there's just something different about them. Uh, so hanging out with Logan and Devin has been a fun part of them, watching them mature through their career. Well, Brian, we appreciate uh, the time today, dropping the knowledge on the governors. Hope you have a safe travel up uh, to uh, the stadium. We'll be seeing you on Saturday, my friend.
Hey, appreciate the time. Let's hope that you guys are out of there before midnight, and we're all out of there before midnight this week, and Mother Nature cooperates. Amen. Yeah, everyone agrees with that, trust me. All right, that's Brian Reeves, play-by-play man of the Governors. We'll see him on Saturday. We'll step aside. When we come back, we'll talk the offense quality control guy, our man, Austin Herrick, with Mike Gallagher. Right after this time, out to hear a word from Santos and the sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Cake. Beer. Cake. Beer. Quality. 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 Soon to be. Cake. Cake. A slice of cake. Cake. Beer. Beer. Um, yeah. Austin Herrick is back for his usual Friday segment with us here on Sandos and the Sidekick. Bold predictions are coming up. We've already talked. Uh, let's see. Who do we play this week? Austin P. I should probably know since I'm sitting with the offensive quality control coach for ETSU football. Former quarterback here at ETSU as well. A legend. They're already erecting a statue in the Hall of Fame. Is there an ETSU Hall of Fame, a physical location? Uh, yes, it's in the third floor. Yeah, in the mini dome. Fantastic. I should third probably floor. know that having been here a number of years now, but clearly I am not uh, in the know enough, I guess. Yeah, just just take a nice little uh, stroll up the stairs and you'll find it. Well, of course you are, you know, because they probably had to go up there and like, you know, etch you in chalk against a wall so they knew what size to make it so it could be life size, I'm assuming, the statue. No, I don't think that'll be coming uh, anytime soon with uh, my touchdown um, interception ratio and then my win-loss record isn't too favorable. So you have a championship. How about that? We yeah, we have a championship. (laughs) The, the ETSU football team of 2018. So Austin Herrick, isn't it? Uh, okay, I texted you earlier this week, and uh, I want to follow up on air about this because I think I've got some pretty fantastic ideas. Uh, not to try and infringe on your quality control territory. I mean, this is your job. It is clearly not my job. But naturally, being someone that loves the sound of their own voice and their own opinions, you know I'm going to put forth whatever comes to mind when you're on air. Sure. Uh, the Malik McGue formation with Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors in the backfield. To me, brilliant. Anything you can do to have Jacob Sailors and Quay Holmes on the field at the same time, phenomenal. I'm in favor of it all. I was not familiar that Malik McGee was such an athlete. Probably tons of people around the area were having watched him in high school. And then, of course, he went to Army and played kind of here and there and is now back at ETSU. Uh, is it named yet? Uh, and if the answer is yes, uh, don't tell me what it is. Because I want to submit some names of my own because I think that they're probably better than any of the names that have been come up with down the hall. No offense. Sure. Yeah. Let's okay. go. Okay. Uh, firstly, one question. Does Malik dress well? Is he a stylish guy? I haven't seen him too much off the field, but I mean, I, w- I would assume so. Okay. Uh, the styled cat. Boo. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like that. Ca- How about the mild cat? Because both his names start with M. Over yeah, two, over wow. two, okay. yeah. Okay, how about well, Wildcat, you know, is the usual formation for the... How about instead of the Wild Buck, Buck Wild? I like that one. Okay, yeah, so one could... for three. See, that's the one I like the least. I like the Styled Cat, believe it or Style not. Styled Cat? <laughs> styled Cat. Instead of the Wild Cat, he's stylish. The Styled... God, you're just not... Yeah, you're not no, I'm not having that. Okay. That's... 
You hate these. Wow. I, I was that, not expecting that, such the a The first one was the worst one. <laughs> yes. The style cat really? is just awful. Okay. Yes. That's, that's that bad? I, I was expecting more. Yeah. Really? Okay. I mean, I, I thought about these for a good... This is like 90 minutes of my week right here. Wow. No, it wasn't 90 minutes of my week. <laughs> the, uh, the style cat came last in my mind, but I enjoyed it because like you see all the... Okay, I'm not going to justify it anymore. You don't like it, I'm not going to try and talk you into it. Okay. What was the second one again? The mild cat, which isn't exactly very ferocious or intimidating, which yeah. is why it probably doesn't Just work. Just meek and mild. But Malik McGue. Yeah, not a huge guy either, so I, I see what you're going there. See, okay, yeah. you're coming around a little bit. I feel yeah. if I keep talking, you're probably going to like these by the Is that true? If I just keep going? The, the first one, I think we just need to put that one to rest. Uh, yeah, what a shame. Okay, but you like the Buck Wild formation. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I like well. the ring to that. Yeah. I hope that uh, I hope it catches on. If it doesn't, then uh, I'm just going to keep calling it the styled cat. Okay, we have an ongoing DK Metcalf conversation. Three catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown last week, and I am starting him in all three of my fantasy leagues that I own him in this week. Your thoughts? Uh, you know, keep keep trusting it. You, know, you picked him. You obviously uh, felt that he was going to have a big year. So, uh, you know, I would keep trusting your gut. As for me, uh, I would expect a uh, a slump coming up here soon. I, mm. I didn't see him being this good. So. Ah, okay. So we're starting to chip away at that opinion, are we? Yeah, he's he's done better than I expected. Would you say he's the styled cat of football players where if we keep talking about it, you're going to start to like it a little bit more? No, uh, maybe okay. mild cat the mild because cat. the mild cat I started to come around on the style cat. Now he that's just that's just bad. How about QB injuries? I want to talk about that that this week with you specifically Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know if you saw that throw that he got hurt on. I had never heard of or seen. It looked to me right off the bat like a UCL injury. Tommy John is what you know layman term for it is, but the ulnar collateral ligament, something you often hear about in baseball pitchers. Right. And so there's some famous ones. Joel Zamaya is one that comes to mind when he th- he used to throw like 102, 103. Back before throwing 100 was so common, he wound up and threw for the Detroit Tigers one night, and it looked like someone shot a bullet through his right elbow. Uh, completely blew up his entire UCL, and that's basically the ligament that makes your elbow work specifically if you're someone that throws for a living. I did not know that throwing a football that repetitively could lead to Tommy John surgery, a UCL ligament tear. Apparently for Ben Roethlisberger, it is. Were you A, aware of that? Have you ever had any discomfort to the point in your elbow of feeling like something like that may happen? And I guess Jake Delhomme also had this surgery. So there is a little bit of a history there. Right, yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with any other cases other than the two you mentioned. I'm sure there's someone else out there who's had that. But typically the football is so much heavier than the baseball, your arm can't move as fast. Right. Um, typically with throwers, you get uh, glenohumeral internal rotation deficit. Here we go. Which is uh, called GERD, the acronym for that. Yeah. So uh, I actually spent a lot of time working uh, on my shoulder and uh, doing injury prevention stuff in the training room here. And... Uh, yeah, typically with football, if you're having shoulder or elbow issues, um, which is what we're talking about here, that's a mechanical issue and or you're overworking it. Interesting. But mechanically, if you're if you're moving efficiently and moving the right way, it's really tough to overwork a muscle. As Big Ben has seemingly his entire career, correct? Exactly. Um, it's and strange. I, and I don't know that he's had... Um, you know, problems before or anything like that. Typically, guys get camp arm, um, which is why they bring in more quarterbacks for camp because there's so much volume of throws with the offseason, you don't have much. 
Um, but yeah, that was very interesting to see. I guess age also can contribute to that, but um, if you keep um, reading the news or, or in the know about sports injuries or anything, you know that the Tommy John injury and the UCL injuries are happening really young and uh, quite frequently now in, in youth sports. So um, that's a very interesting thing, something to keep an eye on. And, uh, yeah, very odd for football because your arm can't move that fast just because of the weight of the ball. Did you see the Trevor Simeon injury Monday night? I did not see it, no. Do you want to see it? Sure. I'll at this point, I'm not getting hit again, so I can look at him. I'll show it to you after we're off the air. Essentially, yeah. he went to plant while being hit on the, um, gosh, I don't know the technical term for this part of your foot, but right below your toes, not the the ball. I, of your I suppose foot? the ball of your foot, not yeah. the heel. So he plants on the ball of his foot, and when he comes down, he's got a guy coming down right on him, which is why they've taken away the uh, driving the quarterback driving into the, court, the ground. Yep, exactly, putting your weight on him because. If you put too much weight on somebody, and these are 250, 300-pound guys, something's going to snap. And as it turned out, when he went to plant his heel, the ankle just snapped. Uh, wow. Yeah, it, it was disgusting. Um, he is done for the season. Sam Darnold has mono. So the Jets right now are with Luke Falk from Washington State, who drew some really rave reviews when he was with the Cougars. Wasn't necessarily on a ton of great teams, and the stats were kind of up and down. He's hung around the league. Now this is his third team and I think, two years. Um, the Simeon injury, gross. Uh, the Sam Darnold injury, quote-unquote injury, weird. I don't know how much experience you have with mono. I have never had it. I don't necessarily know how you get it, uh, but he's out like four to six weeks. Cam Newton has an injury now as well. How many more quarterbacks of the starting variety do you feel like will miss four, six, eight weeks? That's a big thing in the NFL right now. We've got like four or five of them already. Eli Manning also has been benched. Right, yeah, and Drew Brees. That's my fantasy Drew quarterback. Brees. He's out. Um, yeah, no, that's very interesting. I actually had mono uh, in the sixth grade. Um, I, they call it the kissing disease. Uh, I don't think that's how I got it. I was, I was pretty young back <laughs> Can then. Can you say for sure it's not how you got it? Uh, I can't confirm or deny. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that was it. Um, but no, I. Th- that's weird, and it's kind of crazy. I felt like when I had mono, it kind of built up, um, and I felt sluggish for a while, and then finally I started feeling sick and things like that. Went to the doctor, and then got mono, and then obviously your spleen is enlarged, and so that's kind of which scary. is the dangerous part, apparently, right? Because you can land on your spleen, or someone can hit your spleen, it can explode, and you die. Exactly. So you definitely don't want to take a chance there. There's no uh, being a tough guy with a spleen injury. Right. Um, yeah, with Cam Newton, uh, that's interesting as well because he played the game and, and seemed fine. Right. Uh, some of those injuries kind of pop up the next day once the adrenaline goes down. Um, but the Drew Brees thing with his hand, that's you, all. I'm sure you've had that at some point in your career where you're following through, hit it on somebody's helmet or hand or something. Right. Yeah, the coaches make a really big deal about that in practice. You have to stay out of the quarterback cylinder so his arm can fall through and not get hit. Because definitely you can – I've broken numerous fingers doing that. Wow. And, um, you know, there's a ligament. Actually, there's a UCL ligament in your thumb on the inside, kind of where your thumb connects to your index finger there. And uh, I partially tore that in high school. Was that as painful as Drew Brees made it look when he was going to pick up the ball? I don't know if you saw that, but he was trying to pick up the ball and just he grabbed it and instantly, like, 
there was a force field around it or something, or like it was electric, like he couldn't even touch it. Right, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's all your grip. Uh, you pretty much grip the football with your, your thumb. It's underneath the ball, kind of providing all the support there. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's unfortunate. That'll take him a while to get back to feeling comfortable throwing a ball again. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it's unfortunate to see that and with all the technology they have and with all the uh, different training methods and injury prevention stuff very interesting to see because a lot of these are acute injuries there's nothing you know Trevor Simeon from what it sounds like was pretty gory pretty gory yeah but most of these are you know very odd injuries that you don't see every year is there any skittishness when you're back in the pocket as a Drew Brees and you're trying to follow through on throws, specifically when you're under pressure? Like, does that glitch in your mind happen mentally once you hit that on somebody's helmet or hand or arm once and you've torn that ligament? Does that make you reconsider as you're starting back out again? Um, I'm not sure about that. I do know, like, when you get stripped, when you're getting ready to throw the ball and they, like, pull your arm back, that will... Uh, That'll stay in your head a little bit. And there's actually a play uh, in high school where I was throwing the ball, and as I'm throwing and coming through with my elbow, a guy's helmet hit my elbow. Oh. And so my elbow kind of went numb for a few minutes, and that stayed in my head for a little bit because I'm like, man, you never know where, where the helmets come from or right. where people's hands are going to be. So, um, you know, with Drew Brees' injury, he'll get used to that in practice and get used to the grip again and all that. Um, and you – you just can't be gun shy. You learn like you may play a player two gun shy and, and worried about getting hit, but you quickly realize you can't do that. I always did wonder how when you're following through and someone either strips the ball out of your hand or hits your shoulder or elbow, how do guys not tear more rotator cuffs or with some of those main ligaments in your elbow or something in your wrist or anything like that? But specifically your shoulder, because and I've had shoulder problems having been a baseball player you know pretty much my entire life I've had those shoulder issues and it's such a fragile part of your body where I feel like if someone disrupts that motion at all and pulls you back while that's happening things are just tearing everywhere but you don't see as many injuries in that way yeah well it's a very violent motion right you know it's just like throwing a punch as hard as you can with an object in your hand um and so yeah I, I would attribute that to football being kind of a more weight room sport so to speak so guys are typically kind of bulkier than baseball players or or things like that calling me weak i see yeah you know you never know (laughs) i'm just kidding um anyway but yeah i think i think that's part of it i've wondered that too because it's um it is a very fragile part of your body and there's lots of little muscles and tendons in there and um it it's one of the it's it's your money maker as a quarterback that's you got to take care of it and doing all the things you can to strengthen that the stabilizers up there and making sure that's working the way it needs to work is really critical in terms of staying healthy yeah the human body just not meant to throw overhand that's why you don't see as many arm problems in softball players since they throw underhand they can go further into games pitch two games at a time it's just more of a natural motion okay last week and we're not talking a ton of austin p this week maybe we'll touch on him a little bit later but uh, we asked you to come up with times that you did some self-examination or reflection on your football career and said, I don't know if I should be doing this, or I don't know if I feel like a real college football player right now. And it's not meant to denigrate any experience you had or you or even ETSU's football program, but just in the sense of everything you've experienced at ETSU or even in high school or whatever, but mostly at ETSU, I imagine when you didn't have a ball, you didn't have goalposts, you didn't have jerseys, 
you went out there that first season and took some really violent hits or just knew going into a game you're going to get absolutely crushed, whatever the case may be, the thought process behind coming up with this, and it was mostly from you, so that's how you know I'm not the bad guy here. Austin Herrick wanted to throw himself under the bus. Uh, we <laughs> Imagine wanted, that. We were talking about it, and you're just like, gosh, I really do have some some times where I felt like that. And so I'm wondering if you, A, have done that, B, how many you've come up with, and C, I'll react from there because I have a little something made up uh, off a segment we do called Four Downs that can play into this. Okay. Um, I actually didn't think about it the over the week, so I didn't do my homework. But I didn't figure you did. Um, I can uh, – I, I already got a few going through my head okay, right now. Okay, so, so. Let me, let, why don't you go ahead and – formulate those and figure out how you're going to tell those stories and I'll just play the bumper. One, two, three, four. 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 down. Four. Down. Four. Down. Four. 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 Down. The segment's called Four Down, and we do this sometimes on Fridays anyway. Wednesdays or Fridays. It used to be a weekly segment, and now we kind of do it every other week since we do a three-day-a-week show. But basically, the only reason I actually played the full bumper was A, to give you time to think, and B, because we actually have bumpers made up with first, second, third, and fourth down. So even if you have four, or even one or two, that's fine. If, if you get to three and you want to punt, that's totally cool, too. Okay. But I can play the first, second, third, and perhaps even fourth down if you have that many. Do you have one ready? Sure, let's go for all four. First down. First down, go ahead. So, um, this was my first semester at ETSU, and, you're getting, and we're getting ready to play um, the spring game, and I go ask our equipment manager for a rib protector. Um, and essentially, he gives me a rib protector um, that was made in the late 80s, and this was <laughs> 2015. And so, rib protectors... Uh, which I didn't know had evolved a lot since then. This was essentially uh, a life jacket. Um, and rib protectors <laughs> now are typically connected to your, your shoulder pads and all of that. And so that was kind of my first moment as to like, okay, this is a new football program. And uh, equipment-wise, we may not be where we need to be just yet. So maybe it was representative, though, because you needed a lifeline on the field in that first season. You were given a life jacket. Second down. Second down. Second down. Okay. Um, we'll stay in the first season. Um, we're getting ready to play Montana State. And at the time, they were like ranked 15th in the country. Um, really good program. And we hadn't won a game uh, at that point in like 15 years, since 2003. So it had been a long – or I guess that's 12 years, yeah, since 2003. It had been a very long time and uh, – it was one of those games where, where all of us players knew that even if we played our best game possible and they played literally their worst game, there's no chance we were going to be within 20 points. <laughs> um, and so we realized that uh, we just had to go out there and uh, just sacrifice for the athletic department and hopefully uh, the women's basketball team or some other um, you know, athletic team here could get a new uniform or, or maybe something else. So um, I, I think there's a lot of uh, thanks that need to head towards the 2015 uh, Buccaneer football team. How did that game go? How were guys feeling walking off the field that day? Oh, I, well, we were happy to walk off the field. Just we, we, were, we were grateful for the ability to walk off the field. <laughs> um, that game started with 
their defensive end tackling both me and the running back at the exact same time, um, which I had never seen before. I haven't seen since. So um, I believe they scored 59 or 60 points on us, um, maybe more than that. It, it was not a good day, but we found the end zone once. I do remember that. 63-7. to seven. They were number 21 in the nation. Austin Herrick stat line, 8 of 19, 95 yards and interception. You know, that, that interception was frustrating, too, because it was in the end zone, and a guy had it literally in his stomach, and somehow, still to this day, I don't know how, squirted it out, and the guy behind him catches it, falls down. I don't even think he knew he intercepted the ball until the referee blew the whistle. So, um, a little frustrating interception there. So, um, But, you know what? It happens. I was happy, as I said, to, to make it out of there alive. Be silent if this is the guy, Dalton Punchilla. I'm sorry. No, no, oh no, it wasn't Dalton. No, Dad it Richard. wasn't. Um, it was a man um, who quit the team shortly after. Oh, okay. Yeah, but no, that wasn't Ponch. Demetrius Anthony. No, but he did quit the team shortly after. <laughs> a lot of people did. It, it was it was tough. You you yeah. can't blame him. Okay, I'm gonna third, third down. down. Third down. Okay, another moment where I didn't feel like. Um, and of a, course, we're talking call. like you're, you're not going to be able to spill all of them because okay. there's just some that are too yeah. surreal, right? Um, well, I, I may be divulging some information here that that may not need to get out, um, but I think there was a you know it's been a few years. I, there was a, a moment where we may not have been able to play the first game um, at uh, William B. Green Junior Stadium. Uh, because, and this is all from what I've understood, right. um, the locker room where the home and away team was going to dress was not cleared. Uh, it didn't clear inspection. And so we were either going to have to dress outside under tents or they weren't going to let people into the stadium to play. And the rumor I heard is that Dr. Nolan made a call to the governor and got it pushed through, and we were able to play. But there was talks the night before the game or maybe two nights before that um, that game may not go on. Um, and then, ironically, we play the game outdoors for the first time um, at our home stadium on campus, and it rained. <laughs> so that was a, another little uh, you know funny moment there. Uh, do you have a fourth down, or are you punting? I want to go for a fourth down. He's going fourth for it. Down. He's going for it. He's always been a gunslinger. Have you always been a gunslinger? Is that true? I don't know. It's pretty conservative, I feel like. Maybe to a fault. You weren't, you weren't Favre, I mean. Yeah, I wasn't Favre. We had a Favre. <laughs> he, he left. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, I think just overall, that the 2015 season, we just had a rat. We called ourselves the Bad News Bucks. I mean, we were, we were that. We were the total definition of that. Um, we ate our pregame meals uh, at the Golden Corral. Oh, and, nice. Yeah, and I'll never forget, we're at our first away game. It was Charleston Southern. And, uh, you know, just a few hours before kickoff, I see one of our offensive linemen um, up there at the, the chocolate fountain and just pretty much has his mouth underneath the <laughs> nozzle there, just, just taking in all the chocolate. And I'm thinking, you know, just in a few hours, this guy's going to be blocking for me. Right. And As a quarterback, that had to be scary to watch. Yeah, sure enough. He, he just confirmed all my fears a few hours later. He comes up to me. Coach calls the first place is Austin. You know, I, I really don't know what to do this play. Um, you oh, know, boy. I'm sorry if you get hit. 
and uh, the guy who lined up across from him was all conference, and we had a really deep play-action pass called. Um, not exactly what you want in that situation with the offensive lineman previously at the fondue fountain <laughs> telling you you can't block for you. And then, sure enough, I throw the ball and he hits me right in the mouth. So, oh. um, yeah, that was just another welcome to college football moment. That is simply fantastic. That Eating your pregame meal at Golden Corral, and I love Carl Torbush, but that seems so Carl Torbush. It was uh, something that he always kind of kidded me about because after the season, we would have exit meetings with Coach, and right. he told he would ask us pretty much the same questions every time, and one of them was, what can I do uh, to be a better head coach? And, you know, I, I didn't have much to say. I, I just said, you know, could we change up the pregame mills? And uh, I think that was one of the most shocking things he had ever heard. Um, like because you cursed the Bible. Yeah, he, right he really didn't understand how I didn't like the Golden Corral. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I have nothing against it, um, but I feel like we can, there's better options pre game. Right. Um, even till right up until he left, every pre game meal we had, he would come up to me and ask if this was good enough, if, if we were good. So he, <laughs> he didn't let me live the. Uh, As the, in, like, is this good enough? Like, actually asking you or like satirical, like, oh, okay, does this meet your high standards? Yeah, there? exactly. Oh, because, uh, you know, my, my standards were exceeded the Golden Corral pre game. So, so just to give people an idea, what does a usual pre game meal consist of if you're a football team? Typically, you get you know chicken, maybe some beef um, with some pasta and a salad and, and fruit as well. Okay. Um, if you're playing real early in the morning, you may have some eggs or some potatoes or something sure. there. Uh, but typically, the the standard pasta with a, with a meat is what you go with. What was your meal of choice at Golden Corral? Oh man, that was that was tough because I tried to eat pretty healthy while I was playing, and so. Uh, yeah, I would try to find the pasta. Um, they have pasta at Golden Corral? Yeah, I mean, wow. they've got everything. Okay. I mean, you can find what you want at Golden Corral. Now, it may not meet the uh, the high standards of food that I had at the time, <laughs> according to Coach Torbush, but uh, you can find what you want. It just may not be uh, exactly the most healthy thing. Oh, my gosh. That is fantastic. Golden Corral. Yeah. Look at you now. You've come a long way, so have the Bucks. They take on Austin P this weekend. Anything you got on Austin P you'd like to share? They look like they have a tremendous running defense. They're coming off a really good result. Two pick six, sixes for Cordell Jackson in the second half were the difference between them and Mercer last week. They almost pulled off the upset against Central Arkansas. Really a quality team. Mark Hudspeth, a really quality coach that's got a lot of experience. I'll talk with him during the pregame show tomorrow on the Buccaneer Sports Network, 6 o'clock. Uh, is the pregame 7:30 is kickoff at William B Green Jr. Stadium. A lot certainly going in their favor, though I'm sure the Bucks hungry to bounce back. Yeah, I, I think that Austin P is very talented. I think a few years ago they had a top ten or top five recruiting class, uh, and you can definitely see that. So uh, they pose a lot of challenges just in terms of being big and strong and physical, as well as really athletic on the back end. So um, you know they're a very talented team and. Um, you know, we hope to bounce back this week from, um, you know, a, a rough night Saturday. So we've had a good week of practice, and um, I'm excited to, to see the guys go out there and play. Would you care to comment on tweeting about your status on a Monday about how much you love the team and how much you're excited to be back? I'm kidding. No, I do that. No, 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 no. I'm totally kidding. Yeah, Austin Hare, quality control coach, East Tennessee State University. It's the Bucks. And it is the Governor's, 7.30 p.m. tomorrow night, William B. Green Jr. Stadium. Be there. If you can't be, be there, Buccaneer Sports Network. Pre-game show starts at 6 o'clock. Talks with coordinators, players, Mark Hudspeth, and Randy Sanders. Good luck tomorrow.
Thank you. Appreciate it. Austin Eric will be back next week. This is the Buccaneer Sports Network. Bowl predictions are next. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tighter tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. Now, before we, talk about, before we talk about bold predictions, I want to get your thoughts. I know you had to step out for a second while me and Austin were talking, but the three names I came up for, the Malik McGue formation, you called it the Wild Buck. So I flipped the two words and called it the Buck Wild formation. Your thoughts? It's not bad. You're so-so on it. Okay. I think you're going to hate the other ones because Austin was clearly disgusted by a few. Uh, obviously, the Wildcat from the Miami Dolphins is where they came up with that name, and so everyone, which is why I think you went with the Wild Buck instead of doing the obvious and flipping it to Buck Wild, which is way more catchy. Uh, <laughs> the Styled Cat. I don't know if Malik McGue is a sharp dresser, but the thought is the Styled Cat, if he is. Austin was disgusted. You're shaking. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty. Oh, that's pretty bad, huh? Pretty, okay. Yeah, uh, the other one was because his name starts with an M, and he's like a smaller guy, the mild cat. The mild cat? Yeah. No. Like, no. Okay. You hate you hate all three, actually. Well, at least Austin nah, gave you I mean, buck, buck wild. Bu- I mean, the buck wild wasn't bad. Okay. All right. Bold predictions. Uh, let's move on from this. I keep trying to convince people that these are good names, and it's just not working. So I'm going to take the L here, but it will not go down in the bold predictions book. One and four. We're both one and four. We've each gotten one out of our five right. Hey, you said you had a wrinkle or something. I'm waiting to hear oh, this. Oh, uh, yeah. So if we go perfect on a week, okay. I think 10 points, 10 extra oh, points. wow. Now, keep in mind, we only got 17 points each of us last year. So that would I mean, be did anybody threaten a perfect week? So, I, mean, I think I got two once, but I think the third I was like wildly off base. So that's why I think it should be incentivized and maybe make us smarter about our bold predictions going forward. Okay. Uh, I mean, since nobody's going to come close to it, sure. sure okay, not. go ahead and make a prediction. Uh, do I, I won last? First? Yeah, I won last week. Did you win last Arizona week? Arizona State over Michigan State. Is that is that a thing? Yep, that was me. All right, pull up my handy dandy sheet here. You haven't even thought about him yet, have you? No, I haven't. I'm I coming up with so. one right now. I've just got to find a player to go. I'm going to go. Uh, ETSU is minus three in the turnover uh, category this season, and they're going to even it up. No turnovers for the Bucks. Three for Austin Pigo. Wow, plus three in the turnover margin. That's bold. Uh, I know I just talked about in segment one how it's got to start with the run game and Quay Holmes and Jacob Saylors have to get tons of touches. That is true. Remember I said touches, so that includes the passing game specifically for Jacob Saylors. I think this is a combo for me. 
Trey Mitchell is going to have his first 300-yard passing game. And DTSU is going to get their first 100-yard pass catcher since game one of last year. That was Quan Harrison, 5 for 112. And the first 100-yard receiver against a Division One opponent since Vincent Lowe and Hunter Wyke both went over 100. Name the game from 2017. Uh, Furman. Yes, 56-35, the loss. But over 100 for both Vincent Lowe and Hunter Wyke. Last year, Quan Harrison's game was against Mars Hill in the opener, 5 for 102. So I'm thinking it's possible, and I say pass catcher, not receiver, simply to not limit it to position, that a Jacob Saylor say goes over 100 and ETSU gets some screen passes, plays around the line of scrimmage. They're basically extended runs as they try and get creative to get past that very stout Austin P rushing defense. Go ahead. All right, I like it. I like it. I am going to go in the college ranks. I'm going to go with an academy. Going with Air Force tonight, Friday night. Air Force over Boise State. The Broncos, 20th in the country. Over seven-point uh, dog is the... Uh, I thought they played Colorado. Am I wrong? Air Force? Yeah. No, they're at Boise State. Oh, okay. It's tonight on TV. You can watch it if you want. Yeah, Leave it on the family of ESPN Networks. If you don't believe me, look it up. I'm trying what to he's find doing. Mountain West. There it is. Yeah, okay. He's just... He just nah, this is last week. Maybe that's where I my mean, problem was. Okay. You don't even know who's playing. Okay. Okay. No, I don't. Clearly. Are you going to write it down? Then oh, yeah, I, uh, you don't okay. believe me. He's seven writing points. it down. Okay, seven points okay. on the okay. road against the ranked team. Okay. All right, that's All right. fine. Yeah. Uh, Air Force over, I said. Air Glad Force you approve. Air Force. Air Force over Boise State. Air Force over Air Force would be tough. Uh, Appalachian State by a touchdown or more against North Carolina on the road. I think Ooh, that's an touchdown easy more, one. I think. That is an easy an one. An easy one, he yeah, says. it's not even close. I think that Darrington, No faith in Macketh Brown. Darrington Evans is averaging over 10 yards a carry this year. Zach Thomas has thrown no interceptions. He's been sacked just three times. And I love the Charlotte 49ers because I think Will Healy's a really great coach. And they put 56 up on Charlotte last week. And we don't need to bring up that they gave up 41. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. All right. I need uh, I need a third one here. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go. There's not really a league one. I usually like to do a, a, a conference one, but to be honest, either the conferences should be easily won or should be heavily underdogged. So there's re- there's really not one where I think somebody could trip somebody up. I don't I don't think Mercer coming off the loss has enough in the tank to beat Furman. So I, I'm gonna go, and I hate going to the NFL, but I am I am going to go uh, to the NFL. And I am going. You're thinking of this as you're talking. This no, is incredible. Well, I'm not. Oh, okay, you're not thinking. Oh, okay. I'm no, I'm not thinking at all. <laughs> I just want to gotcha. see your reaction. Yeah, boy. When I go ahead and tell you uh-huh. that Mason Randolph. Well, you don't even know his name. It's Mason Rudolph. That's right. <laughs> and Randolph, who's a good basketball player, if I'm not mistaken, is going to lead the Steelers on the road against your San Francisco 49ers that you have adopted in the last like three days. <laughs> it's. It has been strange by amount of love thrown out for the 49ers in the past two days. Not on air, but they've won some games on the road by two or more scores. I just think Pittsburgh, and you know that I think Pittsburgh's terrible, and you know that I'm loving every second. Not that I want anyone to get injured, but the fact that they have semi-imploded to start the year and are looking at probably a 4-12 and or 5-11 and season, you know I love that. And so that's why I'm also loving San Francisco this week. And the fact that Jimmy G looks to be for real. Well, I, I mean, I almost I almost just said the the – NFC North would just win all their games, but I couldn't pull the trigger because Buffalo will beat Cincinnati. But I was well, that's the AFC North, so make sure the AFC that North. That's well. good too. You're I'm having a good place. day. Yeah. I'm having a good day. Uh, I also love the fact that over the last two or three days, I've gone from hating San Francisco because it wasn't like I was ever on board, and then loving them instantly. Okay, I'm also going to the NFL. The Cowboys are not going to beat the Miami Dolphins by more than 21 points, and I think that's bold. 
for a couple of reasons. Dallas or uh, Miami's only scored 10 all year? Well, that's one thing. Okay. <laughs> Secondly, uh, they've only beaten the Cowboys opponents by 21 or more four times in the last four seasons. And I think this is bold, not because of that stat, but because people are putting the Cowboys right now as our odds makers on the level of the New England Patriots and their guaranteed win over the Jets. I think that the lines are very similar. Uh, New England has beaten teams by more than 21 each of the first two games this year and 11 times in the last four years, as opposed to just four for the Cowboys. They've also beaten teams, like five or six more of them, by exactly 21. Miami having scored only 10 points and being outscored by 92 points this year will not be outscored by more than 21 by the Cowboys this Sunday. As an aside, do you think, and this isn't bold prediction, but I just, if this were four downs, I would give you this one. Do you think that Miami matches or surpasses the all-time point differential futility mark in the history of a 16-game season, that minus 274 by the 1981 Baltimore Colts? Right now they're at negative 92 two weeks in. Wow. Negative 274. Well, and, 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 and here's another sad thing. They've still got to go back to New England. Oh, yeah. At the, like, week 16 or something where New England's clearly going to pour it on because they're trying to get ready for the playoffs. That's going to be ugly. Uh, yes, I think they will set the record. Wow. I, I, I will even say they'll set the record by 75 more. They're already a third of the way there. 75 more. That may be bold. You may want to save that one. That would be 349 points. Saving that to see what Dallas does this week. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 250 plus. That that would be like over the next 14 games getting outscored by like 18 or 19 points a game. That's incredible. I'm fine Uh, with that. Yeah, okay. Also, by the way, that 1981 Baltimore Colts team, the only two games they won against the Patriots. (laughs) That sounds right. By three combined points. The first and the last game of the year. Incredible. Yeah. That was like 80s and 90s Patriots, though, wasn't it? And they weren't, no, they weren't very good. Brutal to yeah. watch. Good talk. Bold All right, here we go. That was uh, Bold Predictions. Austin Herrick, Brian Reeves, our guests a little bit earlier. Of course, Monday we will recap uh, the week that was in ETSU football. We'll look ahead to the next game, which will be a tough road game at Furman, which the Paladins have circled on the schedule. Full recap of the game Saturday on Santos and the Sidekick here on the Bucket Air. Of course, Network. Monday. See ya.